And good afternoon. I'm Dr. James Smith Jr. And welcome to, and welcome back to the Dr. James Show. Again, super excited for our guests in particular because I love it when my, my worlds collide, my, my international world with my US world so to bring them together into one space, one room is, is super exciting for me. I'm looking forward to uh, introducing and having the conversation we're gonna have with Mr. Tufal Syed. But before we do that, and actually before we move into our segment of alumni love, I hope you're enjoying your summer and I hope you are being safe, being mindful that we're still in a pandemic. So enjoy, but be safe, take care. As I indicated, it's time for a little alumni love with Tim Killian. Hi, it's Dr. James here and welcome to another edition of Alumni Love. It's when we love on our alum and give them an opportunity to talk about what's new, what's hot, what's going on in their life. We're honored today to have our alum, Tim Killian. Tim, what's going on, my brother? Hey, Dr. James, thank you very much for having me back. I really enjoyed the, the first time I appeared on the show and very proud to be with you here today. And we enjoyed having you here with us as well. But listen, you know what you're here for. You're here to drop it like it's hot, to tell us what's new, what's going on, what's big in your life's post Dr. James show. Well, kind of had a big change, <laughs> kind of a life altering switch. So since the last time I appeared, I actually have changed jobs. I left EDA Contractors, a place that is very near and dear to my heart yeah. that I loved a lot. However, there was an opportunity that the door opened for me and I decided to, to walk through it and, and take advantage of an opportunity that I didn't think would happen. And I am now the township administrator for Pentalkin, my hometown, the place where I grew up and, and I love dearly. It was a difficult choice to leave EDA, but this made sense for me, for my family. Sure. And it was a very cool opportunity that presented itself to me. I'm gonna ask you a question that I'm sure folks want to know. Well, I want to know, what <laughs> does a township administrator do? The easiest way for me to put it for anyone from the private sector, that's where I've spent 20 years of my career, is basically I'm the CEO of the township. I oversee all the daily operations of what happens for Pensalkin, from trash pickup to finance to parks and playgrounds. So anything that happens within the town, I oversee. I report to our board of directors, which is township committee which is the mayor, deputy mayor, and the, the three other members of, of committee. And basically I make sure that our residents are getting the services that they need and, and deserve and make sure things are running well here in Pennsylvania. That's awesome. They are fortunate and blessed to have you and see what happens when you come on the Dr. James show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Tim, stay safe. Be well, take care, and go do what you do. You're doing a phenomenal job. Take Thank care. you, sir. I appreciate it. Alumni love, alumni love. We love featuring our alum because they're doing great things. Our guest for today, I met him several years ago in Singapore. Um, he is the president of the James Lynn Institute, president and founder 
as well as the founder of the Rushford Business School in Geneva, Switzerland. His name is Tufal Syed. Welcome to our show, sir. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. James. I am extremely honored and, uh, and proud that I have the opportunity to, to be here to talk to you and to your friends and colleagues who are watching. Um, I've been looking forward to, to this for, for weeks now that we've set it up and I'm finally here and uh, really looking forward to, to, to having a great conversation and, and that, that human experience that we will talk about. That's great, that's great. Who would have known that years ago when you were at the Rutgers University Executive MBA program in Singapore yes. and I was teaching the class on leadership I think we have a picture of you at graduation where you're standing nice and tall and proud. Who would have known that all those after class walks back to the hotel would lead to us building a solid relationship to the point where you even have asked me to be on the faculty of the Rushford School that's in Switzerland. Who would have thought it, huh? Yes, uh, I mean, Obviously, the Rutgers experience was an amazing experience, uh, and, and we'll talk about a lot of other experiences that I have been through in my journey. But uh, it stands tall in that uh, list uh, that I have of uh, extremely memorable and enjoyable experiences in my life. And and obviously, you uh, you were sort of the feather in the cap uh, or the icing in the cake uh, in that experience. Um, and, 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 and one of the reasons for that was uh, the, the connection, uh, the connection that I had uh, developed and within a very short period of time, um, because as faculty, you would uh, travel from the US and spend a short period of time with the students. It was very intense, uh, but that intensity perhaps was quite uh, a catalyst in, in bringing us together. And um, even those walks, while casual and uh, pleasant, I think uh, had a lasting impact on uh, wanting to grow that relationship further. And, and we have uh, been deliberate and uh, consistent with uh, wanting to move forward with that. And, and I'm so proud and happy that we have maintained that over time. And, and I, I think it's a good example of alumni engagement, uh, especially from your side. Uh, keeping in touch and ensuring that that we we commit to uh, to more things uh, doing together, and I look forward to to even doing that in the future. So yes, thank you for that. Oh yeah, those conversations were rich. We both were vulnerable. We talked about the future, our families, and I said he's going to be in my life, and I'm going to be in his life. And, and speaking about life. Um, you do a lot. I, I introduce you as the founder and president of universities. But you cut your teeth as a physician, yes. researcher, clinical, medical. You've done a lot. Can you let our listeners and viewers know a little bit about how you got here with what you're doing right now? Uh, thanks for that question. And uh, I, I, if, I, if I tell you, I don't even know how that happened, but uh, that would be probably half of the answer. But uh, there's always some method to the madness, isn't it? Um, I come from a, a, a place in the world called Kashmir, which is uh, uh, way up uh, north of India and between Pakistan and India. It's a very beautiful place called 
it, you know, many many people call it the heaven and earth, and it's mm. very scenic and uh, and uh, full of flowing rivers and meadows and mountains. And that's where I was born and raised and uh, spent uh, the part of my life. And perhaps my my love for photography and nature perhaps comes. Yes, from there. we're going to get to that because you yes. are the photographer's photographer. <laughs> yes, so I I I I think my inspiration for that comes from from Kashmir, but um, I I. You know, when I was young and I was uh, studying uh, the traditional, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, thought process was that you study and uh, you become a doctor or an engineer or a pilot and you make your parents proud and you go and do that thing for the rest of your, you know, of your life and uh, make a good career for yourself, have a family and uh, and and be a great example. Um, and 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 uh, understandably so, considering that the place is small and uh, and 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 I'm talking about uh, more than thirty years ago. Um, you know, the world was a little different, and opportunities were not as um, as uh, open as they are today in a, in a more free and smaller world. But um, I uh, was on that traditional pathway, uh, moving to being a physician for the rest of my life. So was, very good in my studies and uh, entered the medical school and uh, went through all the, uh, you know, interesting times in med school, uh, not to not to talk about tough times and and became a doctor and and then went to the US uh, was spent uh, a few years in uh, in uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, wow. and, and, and that was my next journey, you know, into my training, but I got involved in research very early on after I moved to the US. And that was probably um, one of the drivers for my, uh, for my interest in, in research. And, and uh, that was the first time I'd done research in my life. And I got very interested. So I worked in the, on the bench, uh, like a um, like, uh, you know, you probably picture a chemist in your mind, uh, you know, working with uh, materials and tubes and, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of things on, on the bench. And that was not what I'd ever thought that I would do. That was the first sort of, oh, here I am and look what I'm doing sort of thing. And, but it was quite meaningful because it brought out some good information uh, on whatever we were working on, which was related to diabetes and obesity. So did you feel yourself evolving, moving away from the physician, or did you feel like I'm, I'm on a new trajectory, something's new going to happen to me based on what I'm in right now? Yes, uh, it was uh, intense enough to become sort of a parallel thought process. Um, and, and again, the experience was about, uh, in, you know, enjoying it. And uh, uh, at that moment, there was sort of a... Um, uh, a thought getting developed is, you know, this is something I can do for, uh, you know, as, as, as full time rather than uh, just be a physician. And, and when I went back to India, I actually went back to practice. And again, I was not sure whether I would ever do research again because I had a larger practice and was seeing patients every day. And, uh, you know, uh, just a few months down the line when I was fully in my practice, I got a call from someone in the industry saying, we need someone like you, um, you know, we can't find someone, can you join us? And this was the world's one of the largest pharmaceutical companies trying to hire a medic, a doctor, sure. uh, who would help them to, uh, to help with their research and, uh, and, and uh, pharmaceutical uh, uh, activities. 
and uh, in in India specifically, and uh, they almost brainwashed me out of my <laughs> my my practice. But uh, in hindsight, uh, because I always had this great interest in research, I actually that was a sort of a pivot point for me. Um, and, and and I'll talk about it because uh, you know our lives are all about we discovering ourselves every day, and mm. and, and and today we know more about ourselves and. And it's like aha moment, I really didn't know that I could do this or I had this. Uh, so very quickly when I was uh, within the pharmaceutical space, within a larger company, in a corporate basically, mm-hmm. uh, my skills at management and business started sort of getting recognized. In, mm. in Even in smaller meetings, I got picked up to, uh, to be with the management at times. And uh, here I was like... Um, uh, a doctor or a physician who just came in uh, and, and sometimes you get stereotyped thinking, oh, you're a, you're a physician. What do you know about business? Or what do you know about, um, you know, management or how things work? And, and, and I did go through that, uh, and, uh, not, for, not because it was intentional, because it's something that comes very naturally when, uh, when, when you are in that setting. But you, uh, so however, you, kept, you kept getting picked. What was it? The, was it the acumen? Was it the experience? Was it the energy? Was it the way you comported yourself? What kept attracting them to keep picking you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's uh, for me. Uh, it, it is about the personal satisfaction of um, of of being in a role and 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 getting things done where you feel that you've substantially impacted something. Um, at the end of the day, our lives are about impacting and 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 uh, impacting lives, for example, or impacting information or impacting um, something that is uh, of importance to us. Um, and and uh, I felt that much more strongly uh, when I was within uh, and had moved away from practice into into the new space. And let, let, and let, I, me, let me share this this quote that. I know you're familiar with, but it, to me, it speaks to a lot of what you're saying right now. No fear will stop us dreaming. Our dreams will light the sky. Even when all hope is gone, our dreams will not die. What, why does that resonate with you? Oh, it absolutely does. It's um, every day when I, and, and, and I remember from my times when I was uh, sitting in those meetings and uh, brushing shoulders with people who I looked up to, um, one of the things that always crossed my mind was how can I become as wise as, as them or how can I know as much as they do and how can I prove to myself that if given the right opportunities and the right sort of, uh, you know, um, support, I can, I can do great things. And uh, every day I walk back and uh, go home and uh, put myself to, to bed. Uh, you know, this this thought would always cross the mind, and I believe that when you when you really have an intense desire to 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 make something happen uh, for yourself and and uh, for others around you, this, the universe sort of conspires to to make it happen. You see it happening in front of your eyes, and and you uh, and you ask yourself, I didn't do as much as it is returning to me. And it has to be something else. And I think the, this positive energy and this, uh, uh, this, uh, this conspiring of the universe is a real thing uh, where, uh, where that energy is channeled appropriately, really it, it brings great reward to you. Um, I have dreamt all my life and I kept, keep dreaming even today. And, 
um, and uh, and and uh, the, the dreams can go from being very very rational to into the realms of uh, you know uh, really uh, very very uh, not so rational. But uh, but I, I believe that anything is possible uh, in this world. Uh, if that's one your of the reasons why even being a physician and a successful corporate person, you still went back to school to get your executive MBA. Yes, and, and I alluded to it a little bit in, 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 the, in, in the earlier uh, conversation is that you learn a lot on your feet when you're in corporate or even as I transition to uh, doing things on my own. But uh, one of the things that you really want to do is validate that. And, 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 and you've gone through, and my, I myself went through so many experiences and so much of learning and, and, and uh, mentor, mentoring in, in the industry that you really want to bring all of that together in a formal setting. And, and you know, day one in, in business school, uh, you, uh, uh, the thought that comes to your mind is, I don't know a lot. I, I think <laughs> what I know, been there. what I know, I've been there. <laughs> yes, and 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 you know, uh, and that's a good thought because you don't want to, you want to take yourself away from what you've learned, and sometimes even de-learn because the industry can teach you what is important in those settings where you are operating, and and many times it is driven to productivity or profitability or uh, efficiency. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you'd, uh, you know, learned it the way that you could apply it anywhere, because that would be universal learning. Uh, and, and that's where business school comes in, because uh, it, it brings you the, the, it takes you to the fundamentals. And, uh, and, and that's when you, when you really bring your experiences and your, and your learning from what you've learned over two decades to, the, to, to your class, and now you have peers sitting around you. With, with their own experiences, it becomes a very good hot mix of, of uh, some amazing experience. Uh, I think let's, that's- let's, let's, let's park there for a second. We're talking about experiences. I want you to complete this sentence. We, we ask it every show. And I want you to fill in the blank, either with a person or an experience or a turning point. And the question is, if it were not for blank, I would not be here today. If it were not for blank, blank could be filled in with parents, a person, a coach, a mentor, business school, but something that happened in your life or someone who played a key role in your life that has contributed to your success today. Yes, um, and, and, and you did mention uh, mentors, not one, but many. I think, um, and, and that's why at Rushford, one of the things that we, we do very, very intensely is uh, bring mentors to students who are not faculty, but people who, um, uh, you know, uh, take decisions day in and day out in, in the business landscape, or or even people outside of business uh, quarters, if it if it requires to have, bring a mentor. Now, come back to why. And I have been very blessed, and I think uh, you know um, uh, that 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 has shaped my 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 career and my even my thought process, and made me a better person overall uh, by being exposed to uh, very, very good mentors along the way. Um, right from when I moved away from clinical practice into pharmaceuticals to my uh, 
my transition from pharmaceuticals to uh, human clinical research, and then from there to becoming an entrepreneur, setting up my educational uh, endeavors, I have been mentored by people who have devoted their time, their their resources, um, and and without uh, really any uh, any uh, interest in receiving anything back, and and I carry the torch for that, and and try to mentor as many people as I can uh, who who need that, and I think in the in the growth of the human race and the growth of individuals, we always will require uh, to to be mentored. And obviously everybody's uh, needs and interests are different, but I highly recommend for, for anyone who's, you know, we get we get very easily into this notion that we know it and we know what we're doing and and um, I know what I'm doing and I, I, I know it better than and how can I how can I even explain it to anyone? And 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 I just need uh, the, the 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 right kind of opportunity or I need the I need the next job or I need the next promotion or I need the next project or I need something. So you focus a lot more on uh, on those aspects of what you believe is going to, going to be. But if I had to give one advice to, to professionals who have not gone through a mentorship program, a formal mentorship program, invest some more of your time in, in getting a good mentor or more than one mentor. And, and you will see the difference it makes to, to how you to how you position yourself uh, to brace for success. I love that you said multiple mentors because I, I espouse, I believe in having a diverse group of mentors. Having folks who have the same experience as you will only get you one way, but having diversity yeah. with regard to gender, race, ethnicity, age, you yes. name it, adding that to your, your team. Tufal, we have a, a question in the chat room. Let me read it to you. It says, with your medical research background, do you anticipate any medical advancement occurring in the future, i.e. more COVID advancements, cancer treatment advancements, et cetera? Any thoughts there? I see you nodding absolutely. your head, so dive in. Oh, absolutely. And I uh, just for the sake of keeping the audience aware, even when I'm doing education, uh, mostly, I am quite... Um, uh, busy uh, in the research space as well, um, almost on a daily basis. I consult and I uh, do have uh, some associations in which I, I, I do this. And uh, all I can say is that we are moving into a very, very uh, exciting um, um, part of the evolution of, uh, of uh, medical science and uh, therapeutics in, in in treating uh, what's, medical... What's, what's making an excitement? Because you get, there's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of uncertainty out there. Yes. Lack of trust. So what's making it exciting? Um, for me, if you ask me, uh, I'm a person of science and I look at uh, data. I look at facts and I look at, um, you know, history of medical science and what we have achieved over, over the, the last many decades. We are moving into an era where uh, technology plays a huge role in how medicines will develop, how devices will be developed. And uh, not only technology, but also uh, technology at, uh, at, at what we call uh, 
uh, nanotechnology or technologies that will uh, enter uh, and, and will impact the body in a, in a very, very, uh, in a space where we would not be able to go before. We, you know, we, we, we give medicines to, uh, to patients or to people and uh, we understand at a macro level as to what they're going to do with the body. But now we can target uh, uh, very specific parts of the body at the cellular level, at the molecular level and, and create precision therapies where we know that we exactly what the outcome will be. And it's also, uh, we are entering an era of personalized medicine where, um, you know, in the past, we would give the same medicine and the same dose to every patient and, and hope for achieving the best results for those patients. But now we're moving into really curating patients and, and, um, and differentiating patients on the basis of how well they will do to, you know, in response to a particular therapy. And also what the side effects will be, and 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 we're all differently built in terms of you know how we respond to therapies. But there's also going to be a lot of focus on prevention and on uh, not uh, getting sick in the first place. And uh, and as we move forward, we will see that it's going to be more than just keeping yourself healthy by uh, good eating habits and sleeping and uh, the lifestyle-related aspects of it. But we could even see uh, therapies that are not, you know, for for uh, you know uh, treating diseases or medical disorders, but to keep you healthy and to make you live longer and stay away from. Uh, and, and vaccines are a good example of that, but uh, vaccines are just a very small example of that. And we will see a lot more happening in the future in the next 10 to 20 years. But we're going to do our best to make sure we help you stay healthy and not have you come on to be interviewed at two o'clock in the morning, your time in Brisbane, <laughs> Australia, it's two o'clock in the morning. We really thank you for coming on. The whole You're world welcome. was impacted last year and still being impacted by the pandemic. But based on what I've heard and what I've seen, Australia did okay. Can yes. you share why you believe that is and, and what you guys have done and, and what you're continuing to do? Yeah, great question. And I, I really uh, feel for people out there and I know a lot of them who uh, had had their lives impacted because of COVID either through one or more of their family members uh, uh, either getting very sick or perhaps even passing away because of COVID. And I have personal, uh, you know, friends and uh, contacts who've gone through that experience. And I feel uh, I empathize and sympathize with uh, with them. But also, if you had jobs and businesses and uh, and other aspects of your lives uh, that got impacted with COVID, and it's such a phenomenon that that uh, such a global phenomenon where all of us are bound by this, by this, uh, uh, this sort of tragedy that we have uh, embraced ourselves to. Australia is, uh, and, and also uh, 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 a great human spirit fighting it uh, globally, um, getting the science through and, uh, you know, at individual levels, families keeping themselves together, taking care of themselves. So it, it's also bring out that element of looking after each other yeah. and uh, at a global level. So, um, you know, we could have a separate sort of one hour conversation <laughs> just on that. But, and, and it's amazing. 
but Australia is so, uh, you know, everybody would talk about Australia and say, it's too far. I don't want to go vacation in Australia. It's so far out in the South Pacific. And what if I get lost there? And, um, and it is a far place. I think one of, one of the reasons that Australia became, uh, and New Zealand, uh, because it's just next door, uh, have been uh, protected is one, geographically, we're just so far away from, from everywhere else. And, you know, nobody travels through Australia to go anywhere else in the world, if, unless, you know, you're going to New Zealand and you found a flight that goes through Sydney or Melbourne. Um, well, I've, I've, so been that's Sydney, one, I've been to Sydney once and it was beautiful. It's 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 such a beautiful country. Uh, you know, that can be another one hour of discussion. You know? But uh, I think that's 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 the more physical aspect of why COVID was. Uh, uh, but I, I think um, the Australian uh, uh, government and uh, uh, those people who are at the um, you know at, at managing the country uh, are, have done a great job in. In, in ensuring very early uh, sort of uh, lockdown of the country and not allowing travel. So that, again, uh, had, a, had a good impact. But I have uh, something more to say is that sure. I felt, I mean, having lived here and also having uh, my family in India, for example, my friends and, uh, and, and colleagues in the US and UK and other countries, and we keep talking about this all the time. and. And I feel that uh, you know, uh, and I'm not making any 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 comparisons or of any sorts, but um, I see uh, the level of uh, sensitivity to lockdowns and to so social distancing and isolations at a much lower uh, case numbers as compared to some of the other parts of the world. That would be just purely a, a statistical thing, considering that other places have a higher population. Um, but there is some data to show that uh, that uh, here the culture of isolating yourselves or to socially distance yourself is taken to the uh, you know to the, to the nth level by the book, and I think uh, that's played a big role as well. Um, but keeping that in mind, uh, that has also had its own sort of uh, uh, not so good impact on us. Is because we did so well. Um, we were not as uh, as fast to get everybody vaccinated, and now we are behind the world in in uh, in in getting the population vaccinated. And and because of this new variant that is now spreading, uh, we're not as protected. So if you've been uh, following the news, there have been some uh, so there is there is some increase in COVID cases in, in Australia, especially in Sydney and now in, uh, in, in New South Wales, which is Sydney and Victoria, which is Melbourne. And, and uh, there are some lockdowns. So again, uh, you know, uh, because of that uh, or, or other reasons, uh, we, we're not as, as quick on our feet to, to vaccinate everyone. And now we, have, we are going through slightly higher numbers. Yes. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be taken care of. Another question for you in the, in the chat room, let's say, what's your thoughts overall on how we can wisely stimulate the global economy, not at the risk of opening up normal business operations too soon during the pandemic? Any thoughts there? We were talking about yes. the economy before we, got, before we came on. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and right now um, it's all about 
uh, how do we get to a point globally at the macroeconomic level where we are maintaining the basic fundamentals of macroeconomics that drive the world and have driven the world over a long period of time. Now, we have to adjust ourselves in a way so that it becomes more semi-permanent. We're not, at this point of time, the thought process should be and has to be that, you know, even if our wishful thinking, we think that, okay, COVID is going to go away in a year or six months or, you know, uh, something like that. We have to be ready for this thing to be here for the next many years. And even if it goes away uh, physically, we as human beings would have become a little more um, adjusted to this new way of living. And it'll take us some time to go back to becoming who we were two years ago. Now, the stimulating of the economy can happen in different ways. I know that, you know, we're aware that different governments are trying to uh, use their own uh, uh, ways to stimulate their economies. Um, and, and, and all they're doing is, is really utilizing the macroeconomic indicators to stimulate. But at a business level, I think as a global economy with, with smaller businesses and medium-sized businesses are so important to the global economy. While we don't talk about small businesses and medium business, medium-sized businesses, we get to talk about big businesses like Amazon and uh, Apple and uh, you know those kinds of businesses. But if you, in the true sense, if you look at what drives the global economy is, is not only the larger companies, but the mid-sized companies, smaller companies. And they have, to, they have had to do a lot of adjustment uh, to, uh, to really keep themselves in business. And, and one of the ways by which we can stimulate the economy and also bring it back to a set point, because it's all about the set point. It's about what's the new set point? What's the new dynamics? What's the new world order? Should we do things differently and continue doing them differently forever or maybe for a long time? Is it even better to just keep it this way and then look what needs to be done to ensure that it's the new way of working? For example, some companies now saying, uh, even after COVID is better, nobody's coming back to work. You're still going to work from home because they found the efficiency that they knew it exists, but were, didn't have the the necessary, uh, you know, uh, sort of environment to be able to enforce it. But now it got enforced because of COVID, because of a new situation that you had to do it. But they don't want to go back to uh, the, the physical building aspect of it. They want people to work from home. So similarly at the, uh, at the, at the macroeconomic level and even at the microeconomic level, the, the stimulation of the economy has to be in a way so that it 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 uh, talks to the new world order, not to how we were doing things two years ago, because uh, now the world is fundamentally changed. It has fundamentally changed to a new set point. Governments are understanding that. Big businesses are understanding that, and uh, of course, the small and medium-sized businesses have felt it the most because of their vulnerabilities in the market. Good stuff. Good stuff. I want to get into your, your head a little bit. Um, and it's around what motivates you to do certain things. Research says you are the founder of the James Lynn Institute in Switzerland, 
founder of the Rushford Business School associated with James Lynn, the founder of the European School of Data Sciences and Technology. You're the founder of the Berlin School of Health Sciences in Germany and Clinical Research Society, where there's over 40,000 members throughout the world. Does this have a rest? What goes into your thinking, your creation, your innovativeness? Talk, talk to us. <laughs> That's a lot to accomplish. Yeah, thanks for that. And, and uh, I don't know how to, you know, it's, it's, it's a good question. And, um, and, and when I look back and I look at what all I have done and, and what all I have gone through uh, in terms of, you know, starting from where I was with, back in Kashmir, you know, studying and, 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 and from there on moving into my career and then going into the entrepreneurial way. Um, I sort of think that we as human beings have a lot of uh, capability. Um, when I look at, you know, and even today I'm very critical of myself. Uh, and if you, um, uh, if, you, if you hear me speaking about, candidly about myself, you know, in terms of what I could achieve, I will say, I can do more. I can do, I can do a bit more. But uh, at the same time, I think, let's not get uh, too, uh, uh, you know, comfortable with the fact that it's me alone who's done it. No, um, you have to be surrounded by people who uh, bring your dreams to fruition. And uh, that's where leadership comes in. You the spark or you the, uh, you know, uh, the driver uh, or the thought process. But um, I've learned it the hard way is, is that you can't do everything. Even if you wanted to and you wished to and you thought that you could, there will always be misses. There will always be things that will go off your radar and, and sometimes they're critical. So when you look at, um, you know, uh, at my level of my mind, I look at myself and you wanted that, isn't it? Is um, create, 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 um, and, and, and bring, bring more out. And, and there's much more than uh, out there that I can talk about that I've been a part of. And, and, and that's an engine. That's, uh, that's something that, uh, that really needs to come because it'll, there's, a, there's a constant churn. There's a constant uh, um, uh, entropy that, that, that something needs to be created. And, and these are all areas of need. When we created, and I'll talk a little bit about it, I founded the James Institute uh, 15 or 16 years ago. That was when there was, uh, there was in Asia at that time, there was not much of human clinical research happening. And uh, the industry just moved out of the US and they were trying to uh, bring clinical trials to Asia and uh, there was not much talent. So the, the, the institution was born uh, to just help upskill uh, professionals so that they could enter this industry. We, I didn't really know that it would go from there to become a global phenomenon. I mean, we have more than 12,000 alumni in hundred countries and we transformed the institution from being a sort of a training institute to a higher education uh, you know, powerhouse. Uh, but, but that happened with a lot of mentors coming in, uh, with the staff, with leadership within the organization. Um, so I do give uh, most of the credit to people around me who have brought that to, to life. But, but you're, at a personal you're level. You're into global education though, aren't you? 
Uh, what was that, James? I said, you're really big into global education, right? A, yes. A, a new degree, right? Yes. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, now, the whole, the whole educational paradigm, again, uh, like we talked about research uh, and medical science, is, uh, is overdue for a transformation. We, the, I mean, everybody will, will, will agree to this, that the way we've been brought up is go to school, uh, go to college, get a degree, get a job, and make it good for yourself, have a family, and then be happy, you know, at the end of it. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and, and, um, and, and that paradigm, obviously, you know, and, and, and many, many people know that the paradigm is not perfect. Um, we need to be happy always. Um, and, and happiness is the background canvas on which you paint your life. Uh, there's no happiness tomorrow when I will buy my new car or my new house or get a new job or get married or have a child and so on and so forth. Happiness is your canvas. It's, your, it's what you draw your life on. And that's where education comes in. And, 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 and the traditional setup of education was that, that, that it would be a source of happiness. At the end of it, you're making money and you're getting things done in your life. You're making your parents proud and getting a degree and getting to wear the robe and, uh, and getting a good job and great, do great things. But at the end of the day, we're trying to be happy. So when you, when you, when you decentralize it a little bit at that personal level and say, okay, now I'm happy always. How do I now become a learner? And the, the second concept is that we would study and then keep on studying new things based upon what we wanted to do. So if you're interested in engineering, you'd go to an engineering school. Sure. If you wanted to be a doctor, you'd go to a medical school. Not that we have to disrupt that, that, uh, that machinery or that way of uh, getting to a point where you're becoming excellent in supporting the community with a certain skill that you have. But there's more to education than that. Many people want to learn because they just want to learn. And they want to be good learners. And they want to become wiser. And they want to do other things with that, uh, with that knowledge and with that experience. And, and we've sort of taken the experience part a little bit out of education as much as we have put a lot of focus on, on knowledge. And, and that's why you know, you're a graduate or even a postgraduate. You're in your first day at work. And you're like, how can I survive here? I know nothing. I have a postgraduate degree, I have a doctorate, and I just defended my PhD. But here, I can't even talk to an associate. You know, he, he's, how do I do this? So, so there's a disconnect there. So, so without even disrupting uh, uh, the, the, the whole uh, global framework of higher education, although there will be constant disruptions as we move forward, look at finance. Uh, now, we're talking about decentralized finance. We're talking about regulations going away. We're talking about we being the, the, the empowered entity to decide how things should be uh, with the community around us. And education will be no different, but it'll be a process. In today's time, even if we don't deconstruct education to a point where uh, it becomes completely decentralized, what we can do is bring a new system where students, because we sometimes lose focus on the other side of the fence, which is the students, the learners, the people who want to acquire knowledge. What are their touch points? Where are they going to utilize it? What is the value getting created for them? Is it meaningful for them as much as we feel it is meaningful for them? 
So the idea is that you bring um, different institutions together globally and create a global consortium. And through this global consortium, you give the students um, uh, the empowerment to decide what they want to learn. And they can pick and choose based upon what institution they want to study from. It wow. could be on campus, it could be off campus. <clears throat> and, and my colleague, uh, Professor Kiriakos, uh, from Unionitano University in Italy has been a pioneer in this. And his article got, uh, got published recently in the United Nations Journal. Mm. And, 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 and it's, it's simple, but it's also quite elegant in that if there is this willingness on behalf of global institutions to come together and create this framework, they're creating opportunities for students worldwide where, exactly. where they, um, can even students can even decide um, how to because the credits are available in the system and there's a certain number of credits they need to complete for parity with the traditional setup <clears throat> they can pretty much decide the degree that they're going to get so they they you know and there can be all sorts of mixes and now it's almost as if it's not, learning on demand learning on exactly demand. exactly but we have had that a bit in recent times through um through the uh, MOOCs platforms and through other platforms. However, um, they're, still, uh, they're still not at a level where you would give them, give what you learned the, the parity with the traditional higher education uh, framework. So that's stage one, obviously, to create a global framework where students now are in charge of the, what they want to study and how they want to study and where they want to study. And, and students want experience. I could be a student who is studying a master's two years. I could do it in five different countries. And I know exactly how my experience is going to be and what I'm going to do with my time in those five countries. And then at the end of the day, I would have this degree that would be completely valid, would be accepted anywhere. And I would have had amazing experience going through that program rather than going to the same place uh, sure. for two years. So. Or you could do online and blended and all sorts of things. So, um, so, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm very passionate about uh, being a part of this this uh, revolution, sort of in education. And we are trying as much as we can to to create even new business models where it doesn't have to be so expensive. It doesn't have to be because expensive means um, uh, a lot of learners uh, not being able to uh, come in. Uh, to the to the learning space because they can't afford it. So so new business models where you still businesses have enough incentives to still be able to uh, get into the space, um, but still make it affordable through uh, new business models through innovative business models. So you can put the best faculty in front of the students. Absolutely. You can you can give them uh, the best systems and you can give them great mentors. You can even uh, create opportunities for them, but it doesn't have to be so expensive. Well, the, and, thought, the thought that you had asked me to play a role and thinking that I'm now going to be impacting students in Geneva, Switzerland, who have since reached out to me on LinkedIn. And speaking of LinkedIn, can people reach out to you on LinkedIn, Chufal? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you, you're creating, I mean, you're disrupting education and I love it and you're creating a global opportunity for folks. 
In the chat room, it says, good to see diversity in the panel by including a South Asian. Thank you. As, as many of us as immigrants have a story of success in helping humanity. I love it. Specifically, finding mentors <laughs> like me and getting gym packed. That's a good one. That's a good one. Really quick, I want to throw you in the hot seat. The hot seat is our quick activity where I give you a word and you share the first word that comes to your mind when you hear that word. There's no thinking. It's just knee jerk, bam, bam. And we'll see how many we can get through. Are you ready? And, and these I'll have are to make myself some ready. Of, oh, some, okay. of you, some of the words you use during the course of the presentation. Here we go. Creative. Uh, nature. Innovation. Science. Leadership. People. Change. Constant. Ah, global. Phenomenon. Mm. <laughs> How about uh, disruption? Today. Diversity. Always. Management. People. Transformation. Me. Tufal Syed. Everyone around me. <laughs> I love it. You're off the hot seat. You're off the hot seat. Wow. You have brought a ton of knowledge, tips, tools for us to consider in such a short period of time. What's next for you? What's next? There's a lot going on. From, I mean, at a personal level, I, I would like to um, grow myself more, get to read more. Um, uh, with all the years left, uh, um, still challenge myself and um, and and uh, and impact more lives and um, impact the world around me. And that's at a personal level, um, as a human being, as part of the community, the global community, and continue to make friends and um, and uh, and enjoy my uh, my my associations um, and uh, and be part of my family as much as I can. At the business and the uh, contribution to the world standpoint, uh, continue to be be focused on education. Uh, continue challenging the current uh, models and bring new models um, of education forward. Uh, grow Rushford into uh, um, a global business school that does things very very differently. Um, and with all the other schools that you mentioned, um, create an ecosystem of um, very high value schools that will be recognized for um, not only cutting edge um, education and, uh, and, and experience for students, but also making it very, very affordable so that students um, who, uh, who, normally in, in other circumstances do not have the means to, to, to afford very high quality education are able to, to do that. And, and that itself has its follow-on effect on their communities and their families and in their, in their daily lives. And, 
And, and I don't know how much of that we can quantify, but at a qualitative level, I am 100% sure that we will make very, very significant contributions. And one more thing that I want to do much more moving forward is um, in the health school, we have uh, a big part of our community from, from Africa. And one of the things that we have been talking about recently is uh, to give back and, uh, and, and make... Uh, uh, strategic investments in, uh, in in the public health uh, betterment in some of the African countries. So work is going on in that area, clean water, sanitation, women's health, child health, um, those areas where, um, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of need in, in those communities and governments and, and uh, non-governmental organizations and charities just do not have enough resources to to cater to everyone. So businesses that have um, have seen growth um, because uh, of being active in those uh, countries or those communities have the have the responsibility to to just you know um, lend a helping hand. So. Um, I would like to do more of that in, in the future, yes. So something tells me that's going to get done because you said you want to do it. Yes. I'm wiser today because of the time we spent. I'm sure the others picked up a tip, a thought, something to consider. It's nearly three o'clock in the morning. You were here with us today. Really, Tufal, thank you so much for that. We look forward to seeing you next week with some more wisdom, some more information, some more inspiration. Until then, don't lose sight of the fact that you've just been impacted. See you later. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.